I think for several years I drove around in my car and I had two cassette tapes. One was William S. Burroughs' Dead City Radio and the other was him reading from some of his books of poetry to live audiences. I've always enjoyed listening to Burroughs read to a live audience. William Seward Burroughs II February 5th, 1914 to August 2nd, 1997, was an American writer, visual artist, spoken word performer, and chaos magician. Credited as a primary figure of the beat generation and a major postmodern author who influenced popular culture and literature, Burroughs wrote 18 novels and novellas, Six collections of short stories and four collections of essays and five books have been published of his interviews and correspondences. He also collaborated on projects and recordings with numerous performers and musicians and made many appearances in films. He was also briefly known by the pen name William Lee. Burroughs created and exhibited thousands of paintings and other visual artworks, including his celebrated shotgun art. He was born into a wealthy family in St. Louis, Missouri. He was the grandson of inventor William Seward Burroughs I, who founded the Burroughs Corporation, a nephew of public relations manager Ivy Lee. Burroughs attended Harvard University, studied English, studied anthropology as a postgraduate, and attended medical school in Vienna. In 1942, Burroughs enlisted in the U.S. Army to serve during World War II. After being turned down by the Office of Strategic Services in the Navy, he picked up the drug addiction that affected him for the rest of his life. In 1943, while living in New York City, he befriended Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac. Their mutual influence became the foundation of the Beat Generation, which was later a defining influence on the 60s counterculture. Burroughs killed his second wife, Joan Vollmer, in 1951 in Mexico City. Burroughs initially claimed that he shot Vollmer while drunkenly attempting a William Tell stunt. He later told investigators that he had been showing his pistol to friends when it fell and hit the table, firing a bullet that killed Vollmer. After Burroughs returned to the United States, he was convicted of manslaughter in absentia and received a two-year suspended sentence. Much of Burroughs' work is semi-autobiographical and is primarily drawn from his experiences as a heroin addict. He lived in Mexico City, London, Paris, and Tangier International Zone near Morocco, and also traveled in the South American Amazon rainforest. His work features frequent mystical, occult, or otherwise magical themes a constant preoccupation for Burroughs, both in fiction and in real life. Burroughs found success with his confessional first novel, Junkie, from 1953, but is perhaps best known for his third novel, Naked Lunch, 1959. 
Naked Lunch became the subject of one of the last major literary censorship cases in the United States after its U.S. publisher, Grove Press, was sued for violating a Massachusetts obscenity statute. With Brian Jason, Burroughs also popularized the literary cut-up technique in works such as the Nova Trilogy, 1961-64. In 1983, Burroughs was elected to the American Academy and Institute of Arts and Letters. In 1984, he was awarded the Order d'Arts and Letters by France. Sorry, I couldn't pronounce that exactly. My French isn't perfect. Pardon my French. Jack Kerouac called Burroughs the greatest satirical writer since Jonathan Swift. He owed his reputation to lifelong subversion of the moral, political, and economic systems of modern American society articulated in often darkly humorous sardonicism. J.G. Ballard considered Burroughs to be the most important writer to emerge since the Second World War, while Norman Mailer declared him the only American writer who may be conceivably possessed by genius. So the following is Burroughs' reading from his book, and I love to hear Burroughs read live. I did an art show of my paintings at Lunch F18 Gallery and I was inspired by Burroughs' statement, time, a landing field. And various other aspects of Burroughs have um, educated me in different ways at different times. So here's Burroughs reading from his book. You're listening to the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. The subject I will address, first subject I will address, is of interest to young and old, man and beast, to everyone without exception. The subject is the technology of wishing. How to formulate your wish in such a way that it has some chance of being realized. And a consideration with less popular appeal, the responsibilities involved in wishing, you might say the ethics of wishing. My own interest in the subject was rekindled uh, when this book came to my attention. Now, it's called On the Frontiers of Science by G. Harry Steen and um, published by Athenium Press in New York. Uh, oh, the book was given me by one Len Magruder, who is now founded the Magruder Foundation to investigate subjects on the frontiers of science. He's a retired psychology professor with a keen interest in gambling systems, among other things. Uh, Gambling does not interest me in the slightest. Nothing costs more than what you don't pay for. You want to win like Nick the Greek? The price is you will become Nick the Greek. I don't want to do that. Now, here in this book is something called The Wishing Machine, Chapter 9. First, there's a brief uh, description as to how this device is made. It's pretty simple, it looks like. Uh, 
Oh, here we are. When a symbolic sample, a photograph of a plant, a person, for example, or it could be a hair, hair, lock of hair, fingernail peelings, anything. This is pure sympathetic magic. Um, then you put it between the two copper input plates and the amplifier is turned on. The experimenter then consciously thinks of some change he desires to occur in. Uh, the symbol in the sample place between the plates. According to private correspondence with John W. Campbell, Jr., uh, this device achieved a 90% plus kill rate ratio for Japanese beetles in 90 test plots, achieved a 70% kill against corn borers in other tests, destroyed tent caterpillars, all but eliminated acne from the skin of his adolescent daughter. Eliminated a number of severe warts on an infant girl. And here is the author's experience. <clears throat> now it seems that his little girl was suffering from very severe warts. Uh, it had a number of medical treatments which were unavailing. Uh, so I placed a photograph of my daughter between the input plates of my wishing machine, turned on the battery power, and consciously thought about those warts going away. About killing the virus that was causing the warts, and about my daughter without them. So we left it on, the result was frightening. Within three days, my daughter's warts had decreased markedly, including those that were beginning to grow inside her nostrils. <laughs> Within four weeks, she was free of warts and has not had anything like them since. I disassembled my wishing machine because I was afraid of what I might do with it. It seemed that this phenomenon involved too much personal power of a sort I didn't understand and felt that I might not be able to control. The machine was also sheer outright magic whose consequences went far beyond that of strange machines such as the dowsing rods or some other he describes in here. Um, hmm, yes. Oh, this one, okay. Well, so, uh, in other words, uh, he didn't, he just couldn't handle it. Well, wishers should be made of sterner stuff. It works, so he's going to disassemble it, for Christ's sakes. Uh, then he says that this is not a murder machine, that it seems to be only useful against fairly simple living organisms. Well, I say if it'll kill a corn borer, it could kill a person. I mean, it really is potentially a, a um, killing machine. Well... Oh, so, well, anyway, Magruder had one of these machines made up and gave it to me for experimental purposes. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> well, 
Uh, I had some successful. Wait a minute. There, here are a few of the um, of the. Um, if you're going to make a wish, there are certain uh, rules. And one of the best was formulated by Eliphas Levi. Vouloir sans désirer, voilà le secret de la pouvoir. To wish or will without desiring. Uh, always visualize your wish is already accomplished. All wishes must be unconditional. I mean, if you're going to say, yeah, I want it, but forget it. It's dead on the launching platform. Uh, and then, since your wish is uh, unconditional, the question of responsibility arises. Ask yourself what would be necessary to realize your wish. Uh, how many of you have read The Monkey's Paw? Uh, hoping for more than that. Well, this is a perfect example. It's one of the best stories on the three wishes, I think, uh, in the language. Uh, <clears throat> well, the story is this uh, old, this couple living there with their son, very respectable, staid people, and an old sailor friend comes in, and he has this uh, monkey's paw with him. And... Uh, Three people will have three wishes granted, and this was magic was put into the monkey's paw by an old fakir to show that uh, they people shouldn't interfere with fate; that their wishes will bring them nothing, nothing but unhappiness. Uh, well, so the old sailor he's had his three wishes, and he throws it in the fire, and the um, host goes and picks it out. <clears throat> uh, he said, I threw it on the fire. If you keep it, don't blame me for what happens. Pitch it on the fire again like a sensible man, and of course he won't. Okay, so he makes about one of the stupidest wishes you could possibly make. Ask for money. Oh, boy. Well, says it seems that I have all I want. <clears throat> if you cleared the house, you'd be quite happy, wouldn't you, said Herbert. That's the son. Well, wish for 200 pounds. Then that'll just do it. Well, he did. I wish for 200 pounds, said the old man distinctly, holding the monkey's paw in his hand. A shuddering cry from the old man. It moved, he cried with a glance of disgust at the object. As I wished, it twisted in my hands like a, in my hand like a snake. Oh, well, you just imagined it, dearie. Okay, now, next day, a man comes around to call. Uh, brother, mysterious stranger, and he's obviously very ill at ease. Uh, <clears throat> I was asked to call, he said at last, and stooped to pick up a piece of cotton from his trousers. I came from Ma and Megan's. That's the uh, factory where the son works. The old lady started. Is anything the matter? Has anything happened to Herbert? What is it? Uh, there, there. Uh, hmm. Yes. Is he hurt? demanded the mother wildly. The visitor bowed his head in assent. Badly hurt, he said quietly, but he is not in any pain. 
Oh, thank God. Thank God. Thank Caught in the machine, man. He was the only one left to us, he said, turning to the visitor. It is hard. The other coughed. The firm wished me to convey their sincere sympathy with you and your great loss, he said. I beg that you will understand that I am only their servant. Uh, the factory more and more disclaim all responsibility. They admit no liability at all, but in consideration of your son's services, they wish to present you with a certain sum <laughs> as compensation. <clears throat> That's the first wish. A couple of days later, she gets an idea. What? She's gonna see. She gets the, uh, the monkey's paw. She's gonna walk, wish her son back to life. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So then there's a loud knock resounded through the house. It's Herbert. She screamed. It's Herbert. What are you going to do? It's my boy, and she's going down across to open the door. For God's sakes, don't let it in. It was in a terrible state, you understand. I didn't want to tell you this, but my God, don't let that thing in here. <laughs> so anyway, she's, she's struggling with the bolt. Her husband was on his hands and knees, groping wildly on the floor in search of the paw. If he could only find it before the thing got in. Well, he heard the chair drawn back and the door opened. A cold wind rushed up the staircase. A long, loud wail of disappointment and misery from his wife. Uh, the street lamps flickered on a quiet and deserted road. Very good handling of the three wishes. Well, now, that, uh, that story, if I ever again have to teach a class in creative writing, um, I would certainly assign that because there are any number of stories that can be written on that subject of the uh, monkey's paw, the wish. Wish thing. There's almost no wish that you can make which isn't uh, very, very dubious indeed. So, with these considerations in mind, um, I tried the machine and uh, being a beginner's luck um, first one was um, Magruder himself suffers from I, call, I think you call it kinetitis uh, ringing in the ears well it can be uh, I think about there are about 10 million people in America who have this condition and it can be an absolute torment. I mean, driving people to suicide, they feel like they've got freight trains going through their head. And uh, apparently there's nothing that the uh, medical profession can do about it, but they're working on it. <laughs> well, it occurred to me right away that a good idea would be this, that he uh, record the closest approximation of this ringing uh, on a tape recorder and then uh, start slowing it up, running it backwards, getting control of it, in other words, getting it outside, outside himself and then slowly dampening it, dampening it down. 
Well, he started to do this, and I also used the wishing machine. But at the very time that I was, we synchronized it later, that I was using the machine, uh, he did have a dramatic improvement in his condition, which has continued to this day, I'm glad to say. Not completely gone, but considerably alleviated. <clears throat> um, I think the tape, well, we don't know whether it was the tapes or the machine or whatever, possibly both, I don't know. And then also there's a growth on my cat's lower lip. One of the cats has a growth on its lower lip. Uh, surgery on the lip, of course, is, is uh, very difficult because the cat will eat. And it's very difficult for the uh, um, surgery on the lip to heal. Well, I had some considerable success there. That is, it's went, gone down to the point where we don't need surgery according to the vet. Uh, no luck in getting a lost cat back. And no luck with a friend's emphysema. Well, uh, of course, you got, you know, so many good ones and so many bad ones. I don't know to what, I don't know anything about electronics or to what extent this device could be improved or maybe someone could find just a simple little uh, circuit something that they can patent. As it is, you've got nothing you can patent. And uh, that would really make it uh, a little more than just, you know, well, so, so many good ones and so many bad ones. And uh, there would certainly be a fortune in that. I mean, the, uh, the title alone, uh, The Wishing Machine, that's a real winner. <laughs> As I say, there's so many, uh, so many uh, different stories that you could write on that, on the subject of the uh, wishing machine. Uh, let's see, I uh, well, Mister, I don't see it works, but I know the man cleared the acne off his daughter's ugly face. Nobody seen just how ugly it was to clear the acne off, and maybe he shouldn't have done it like that. Then <laughs> he wished the hemorrhoids of his grandmother to recede. Before there was night crawlers, now there's like those little red worms you play shit threading on your hook. Another bloke killed with a tapeworm and his maiden aunt, and her gained ten pounds in one week. <laughs> well, do anything positive like bringing back a lost cat. He's looking for a lost cat, too. Well, I don't rightly know, but I figure with this artifact, the sky might not be the limit. All is in the knockdown, the diffidence that faltered. How's that, Ezra Powell? Tell Ezra to pull down his vanity, <clears throat> and bear in mind that this is a murder machine. And this you gotta hear. Man wished his neighbor dead, neighbor went full crazy and come after the wizard with a chainsaw. Cut him in two sections, like the lady saw it in half act. Difference being the wisher was in no condition to take the bow. And then the neighbor dropped dead from the fun of it. <clears throat> so think before you wish out some rotten weed wish. <clears throat> the gods of chance don't like whiners, welchers, and pikers. Eat a whiny wish through this machine and you will soon have ample cause to whine. And from half-assed wishers shall be taken even that which they have.
I only want one thing. In that case, you'll likely get it one way or another. <clears throat> so he wishes, makes an unconditional wish for smoker's return, regardless of any consequences. Knowing that the fulfillment of his wish might occasion an earthquake or a winter tornado might even rip the known universe apart. In other words, you've got to be able to take those chances if you're going to use this machine. Oh, uh, the title, I'm, uh, he didn't say it, but I'm sure it comes from that old story, you know. Uh, you take some, something that a monkey likes, like an almonds or raisins, and put it in a coconut or a box with a hole that's big enough in a monkey's paw. And he reaches in there and grabs a handful of, of these, uh, whatever it is, and he can't get his hand back out, and he's too dumb to let go of what he's got, you know, just like Homo Zap. <clears throat> yeah. Well. Oh, you can turn up the um, story of material anywhere. Oh, well, it's more on this uh, variations on the monkey paw. So it makes a simple wish. I just want to do my job better than anybody has ever done it before. Oh, boy, is he in for trouble. <laughs> so the wish is a cop. At first when he starts cracking cases, everybody likes it and he gets promoted, but... Well, and it goes on and on, and boy, they just want to be rid of him. <clears throat> it doesn't pay to get too good at anything. And so forth, someone wants to write a great book, but it is so great nobody can stand to read it. <clears throat> <laughs> so, whatever you wish for, and of course, if you, some people naturally would wish for uh, um, some gift like second sight that's a very common wish well that's got a lot more sense than trying to wish for money that's about the worst thing you can wish for something solid and three-dimensional like money I haven't seen any stories this would be this would be another good uh, exercise for a class on the um, Tylenol uh, Excedrine killer. Oh, you know, trying to get into his mind. Well, obviously the guy's got something about painkillers. Because both of them, you see, there was extra strength Tylenol and, uh, what is it, extra strength uh, Excedrine. Hmm? Yeah. So, I don't know what is, what is in his mind, whether he disapproves of painkillers or, or what. He's got something on painkillers. Uh, yeah, one on that. Uh, here are two little incidents picked up from the paper. Uh, someone who recognized his death and then insisted on being killed by an unwise physical attack on his own instrument of death. Uh, <clears throat> Just about uh, silly a thing as a man could do. <clears throat> well, the, this man got drunk and was swimming in a slough in Florida when he saw two alligators. 
In a frenzy of rage, he attacked the alligators, screaming obscenities. <laughs> and the alligators dragged him under the water and drowned him. Of course, nobody did anything about it. They said he got what was coming to him. <laughs> now, the other young man got on a bus muttering imprecations, and there was an old 85-year-old man sitting there. And he looked at him and said, You! and pulled the old man from his seat and threw him to the floor. And the old man said, you don't know who you're messing around with. So then the old man uh, <clears throat> pulled a 25 automatic from his raincoat pocket and fired three shots, killing the youth instantly. He was acquitted. Well, <clears throat> uh, A point, this is a point I've made uh, many times before in uh, my talks here at Naropa. Uh, but I, I know that it's happened to me many times that someone had to tell me something ten times before I finally heard it. <laughs> uh, this is just a simple observation on the way human perception actually functions. Everything you see has a special meaning for you because you see it. Seems obvious, but in practice it comes as a shock to many people. And people have been brain damaged by the scientific dogma that there is no relation between human consciousness and so-called external reality. So I just always given gave this... Um, exercise to my students and um, I'll get to it here in a moment um, so the, the this scientific uh, the scientific uh, um, mentality is quite as uh, dogmatic as the um, the old devil snatchers of the Inquisition one side has said anyone writing or publishing anything on a so-called ESP and flying saucer should be publicly horsewhipped and refrain from further activity. And another said he would not believe in ESP no matter what evidence uh, was offered. Uh, now, the basic, what is the basic uh, dogma of science? It is very simple and, and quite indefensible that uh, physical, the underlying dogma is quite simple. Human consciousness must never be allowed to influence physical processes or other consciousnesses. Well, to me, this is an absolutely indefensible position invalidated by simple observation on the part of anyone who keeps his eyes and his mind open. Now, here's a quote from the New York Times. No one can seriously maintain at the present time that the rights of a shaman could influence the weather. Well, only those who have seen it done or done it. <clears throat> I've seen it, and I've seen wells witched out and all that sort of thing. Uh, <clears throat> it's a question of clicking in. But we can see the same process in operation uh, all around us, round the clock. Just make a habit of noting what you are thinking and feeling when you encounter an intersection point that caught your attention. It could be words on a passing truck, uh, an advertisement, or a person. 
Didn't I see him before in the deli in the drugstore? You did, but he isn't following you. He's just in the same time group. Uh, I remember seeing this man in a deli, and really ran into him, in fact, and he is often opposite to me on the subway, and I know he will get off at my stop, which is Franklin Street, and he did. Nothing more to it than that. I'm thinking about New Mexico and come around a corner, and there is a New Mexico uh, license plate, New Mexico, land of enchantment. Well, uh, some of my students became quite paranoid and said people were following them and that uh, um, everything was talking to them and everything had meaning. I said, of course it has meaning. But it was too much for some of them. One of them heard voices uh, saying that I was the B666 or some such nonsense for that, and he had to kill me. <laughs> well, he later found Jesus, or Jesus found him. I don't know which, but <clears throat> I got a note from him. Uh, also, you can alter your surroundings by altering your point of observation, and that is an act of magic that is performed by every artist. Uh, you can't learn anything, you can't teach anybody anything they don't know already on some level. And you can't show anyone anything they haven't already seen. Uh, he just won't see it. Of course, there are people who just don't want to see. Uh, there's always the danger of seeing more than you can take. And consider that dedicated professional non-seers are in all positions of power. And non-seeing is an escalating process. The less you see today, the less you will see tomorrow, and so forth. Uh, meanwhile, cats are being boiled alive for food in South Korea. The remaining rainforest is being rapidly destroyed. And there is always, of course, some group brutally oppressing or exterminating another group, leaving a trail of underground terrorist cells, Biafrans, Armenians, Remember the starving Armenians of the 20s? Well, they still maintain a very active terrorist cell. And separatists in all directions, performing their own atrocities and absolutely justified in doing so, at least in their own unwavering opinion. Uh, well, we could stop for some questions at this point. Some questions, anyone? <clears throat> no questions. Uh, well, in that case, I would like to uh, say something about the techniques of the big lie. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard was a master of the big lie, and there, he had all these rules for um, there are a number of rules. Always accuse others of doing what you are doing yourself. Uh, and here are some techniques for cutting other people's communication lines. Premature acknowledgement. Acknowledge before the person comes to the point. Laugh before he finishes a joke. <laughs> Under acknowledgement. Like you just couldn't have said anything so stupid and distasteful. Over-acknowledgement, like there's nothing more to say on the subject. Pretend not to understand the most obvious considerations. At crucial moments, create interruptions and diversions. 
Uh, you see, it isn't the truth that hurts. It's a blatant lie, the big lie. Here, writer has spent seven years on this book, and the pains he has taken are quite apparent to the discerning eye. The critic says, this slovenly potpourri obviously thrown together in a few weeks, you see. That's what gets to people. Pick out the most meticulous, neat and fastidious person in the office and call him a slob. <coughs> the person is left smarting and gasping with outrage. And that is precisely what you want to accomplish. Uh, you can see the big lie in operation all around you. Uh, well, here's, here's a blatant example of anti-gun. Um. White Hot Magazine, one of the world's leading institutions for contemporary art.